Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. We're in part three of a series called Stories Jesus Told, The Kingdom Parables, where what we are talking about is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and we're seeing, as Jesus spoke about it, in parables. And the number one message, the number one takeaway that I hope you're gathering from this series from beginning till end is that the kingdom of God is not something that we have to wait for. The kingdom of God is something that we can and should experience here and now. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you, meaning the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's not something you have to wait till you die to taste. It's the kind of thing that you can have a little bit of here right now. And in fact, if you look at it, when Jesus first came and began his public ministry, there was one sermon that Jesus gave over and 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 over again. It was back before the days of YouTube where people would, would record it so he could just recycle the same sermon over and over and over. And what was that same sermon that Jesus gave? It actually was a, was a copy of the sermon that St. John the Baptist gave before Jesus. And that's in Matthew 4, 17, which is what? Repent for the, say it with me, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's where Jesus went, everywhere he went. And John the Baptist was saying the same thing. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. At hand means it's here now. Wake up. Don't go to sleep because if you sleep, you're going to miss it. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And what Jesus is telling us in this verse and all throughout his ministry is that you don't have to wait to find the kingdom of God. So what we're doing in this series is we're trying to figure out what that kingdom looks like because there's lots of misconceptions and misunderstandings. Like I said, first of all, many of us thought that we got to wait till we die to experience the kingdom. And Jesus said, no, that's not true. So what we're trying to do is understand what the kingdom looks like. And the means by which we are doing that is by looking at the parables. Because what we saw in the first week is that if we're trying to find something, it's a lot harder to find something when you don't know what you're looking for. So each week we're looking at a parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. And we're asking a simple question. It's not a verse by verse study, but it's where's the kingdom of God in this parable? Where's the kingdom of God in this parable? And in case you were wondering why Jesus always spoke about the kingdom in parables, is because the kingdom of God cannot be contained in a formula. The kingdom of God cannot be contained in A plus B equals C. That's how we would like it because it would make it very simple, but that's not how it is. In fact, St. Paul talks about the kingdom of God and St. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has come upon the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So if I can't see it, ear can't hear it, heart can't understand it, words are insufficient, to do justice to what the kingdom of God is as well. So what do you do when you want to explain something to someone, but you just can't explain it in words? You draw a picture. So that's what Jesus did. He drew a picture with his words, and those pictures are parables. And as we've seen the past couple weeks, each parable usually flies in the face of what commonly is believed about the kingdom of heaven. So the first week we saw was the parable of the Good Samaritan. All right, in the Good Samaritan, we all know the story about the one, the, the priest didn't help, the guy who was beaten up on the side of the road, the priest didn't help him, the Levite didn't help him, and then the Good the Samaritan did. So what that taught us is, is that the kingdom of God is usually where we least expect it. 
It wasn't in the kingdom of God in that story. wasn't in the priest. You would expect it in the priest. Of course, the priest, okay? It wasn't in the priest. It wasn't in the Levite. And then you thought, okay, it's not the priest, it's the Levite, it's going to be the Jew. No, it's not even in the Jew. It's in the guy who's on all the way over there, who's the bad guy, who's the enemy. Like, you could have asked them, tell me where the kingdom of God would come from. And they would have said a million different places. They'd have never said there. That's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it comes in forms that we least expect it. And the kingdom of God may be working in your life today in a form that you least expect it and least want it. The thing that you say, get away, get away, get away. That may be the means by which God is working his kingdom in your life. Last week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son, okay, which we also read earlier today for those who are attending the divine liturgy. And the prodigal son, what we learned is that the kingdom of God is not in the law, but the kingdom of God is in love. It wasn't in the rules because the son broke all the rules. The other son broke more rules. The father broke rules. So it wasn't in rules. That's how we want it. We think that rules get us to reward. That's how we like it. If A, then B. And God said, no, no, no. In my book, it's not if A, then B. Sometimes... Sometimes it doesn't add up in a mathematical way the way you want it to add up. Each parable about the kingdom flies in the face of what was commonly believed, some of the myths at the time. And the reason why, agree with me on this one, there's something about human nature. You'll agree with me on this. This is very uh, easy to understand. We'll admit this about everyone else except ourselves. There's something about human nature that when we don't know something, and we want to know something and we don't know something, what do we do? We invent it. We make it up. Because we're arrogant. And we think very highly of ourselves. So if there's a question, and there's a problem, and I don't have a clear answer, and I don't know what it is, I rarely say, I don't know. We as human beings, we don't say we don't know. What we do is we say, oh, it must be. Or it probably is. I'll tell you a funny story. One time I remember the first time my family took a trip to Egypt together. And in Egypt, okay, this was back in like the, 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 the when I was in college. So as the kids say, in the 1900s, okay, it was in the 1900s, okay. So I, I went to college in the 1900s. So we're there, and this is before GPSs and cell phones and all that stuff. So those who grew up, okay, anywhere, okay, abroad, how do you get, how do you get from one place to another? You ask directions, okay, that's what you do. And that's like, that's, okay, it's, I know it's hard for people to understand. That was the plan, leaving the house. The plan was, I'm going to so-and-so. I don't know where it is. I'm going to go in the direction I'm going to ask. That's the plan going out. So I remember my dad is driving, and we're going wherever it may be. And we stop on the side, and we ask someone to directions to wherever it was. I don't know where we were going. And the guy talked for like, like five, six minutes. And the guy's saying, you know, go over here. And then, you know, uh, you'll see a, a sign here. Turn right there. And then it was very, like, specific in his instructions. Okay, so I'm like, oh, that's great. And then my dad drives like 20 more feet, rolls down the window and asks someone else directions. And the guy gave a completely different direction. So I asked him, I said, the guy, like guy A gave you directions. And then you asked someone else. He's like, yeah, that guy had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but he can't say that. You can't say that. He had to make it up. And it was clear to everyone in the story that he was making it up, but that's the way we are. That's, that's how human nature is. You don't believe me? Look at from the beginning of creation, the beginning of creation, before we understood who God was, everyone knows there has to be a God. There's gotta be a God. It takes a very, a very strong level of faith to not believe in God because you have to believe against all logic and against all evidence. You have to believe against all science. So it takes a lot. So all of humanity from the very beginning has believed that there must be a God, but because we didn't know who it was. 
The Romans made up a set of gods. Oh, it's got to be this. And then the Greeks made up a set of gods. It's got to be this. The Egyptians did. Everyone made up their own god because we know there must be a god. And because we don't know who he is, well, let's just make it up. Same with the afterlife. That's why some, some, some cultures believe the afterlife, you got to get buried in a certain way. Buried with your gold so you can take it with you. Others believe that you should be buried in this way. Everyone came up with beliefs because when we don't know things, we don't say I don't know, we make it up. And it's not just religion and faith. Culture is the same way. Someone sent me an article. You know how you get those forewords? I don't read any of those forewords, but if you want me, Father Anthony, to read a foreword, if you put in the subject of it, 80s. This said 80s childhood fears. Anything about the 80s, that I'm opening up. And this email had a list of things, or it was like a website or a blog or whatever it was, things that when we were growing up, children of the 80s right here, things that we were deathly afraid of that have no, no fear, there's no merit to it whatsoever. I'll give you a few of them. Let's see how old you are if you remember this. What happens if you're eating a watermelon and you swallow a seed? A watermelon will grow in your stomach, okay? Yes. People are like, yes, of course. That's, a, that's the way we were. We were terrified of swallowing a watermelon seed. This is before the seedless watermelons. That, that's like a new high-tech thing. We didn't have that growing up. So we had the watermelons. I was so scared that one would slip in. I would with my finger, okay? Like you cut it, I would with my finger and, pl and push those little things out there because I was scared. Because if you swallowed it, you'd have a stump thing go inside. So one day you'd wake up, you feel a little bit bigger. You're like, oh, I must have swallowed a watermelon. Okay, see, because I'm feeling a little bit. Second one, what would happen if you swallowed gum? Stayed in your stomach for seven years, okay? Which apparently has been disproven. We all thought that. The, 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 the world of GI, the GI field has really advanced since the, since the 1980s, okay? Between the watermelons and the gums. We thought if you swallowed gum, don't do it! Don't do it at all costs because if you do, it'll get stuck and everything will get stuck to it and it'll stay there for seven years just like grabbing all the different stuff. How about this one? After you take a shower and your hair is wet, you can't go outside. You can't, you can't go outside with wet hair. Are you kidding? You'll catch a cold. It's very common knowledge. Wet hair, germs in the lungs. Like that was just the way. The water was the way the germs get in from the outside. Okay, I got three more right here. Three more things that what we thought you would go to jail automatically. Okay, I'll give you these three things. If you're driving at night, what are you not allowed to do or else you will go to jail? You will get arrested on the spot. Turn on the light on the inside. We had, we had a deathly fear of this. And I remember when my kids one time were in the back and they turn on the light, I'm like, turn off the light, turn off the light. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't know, but just turn off the light. Like, just turn off the light. You're not allowed to turn on the light. It could distract other. I don't know why, but turn off the light. The police could pull us over and throw us straight in jail, straight to the handcuffs. Okay, how about another one? <laughs> this is one I still don't understand to this day. You know on the mattresses, you know the tag on the mattress, okay, which says do not remove under penalty of law, like federal crime, as if the FBI is just like watching out. And who cut the mattress tag off, okay? We don't know why. There must be a black market for mattresses somewhere out there. You are not allowed to cut the tag. And then the last one for you. The last one. That no matter what, no matter what, there's one thing you would never do in life. You would do anything in life. You would never do this. We knew. If you did this, this was certain death for you. If you went in the swimming pool less than 30 minutes after eating, certain death.
Okay, you just go ahead and call the funeral home right there because if you go into water, everyone knows that it's 30 minutes or else the food will explode inside you or something like that. Wisdom often begins with unlearning. Wisdom often begins with unlearning. How about spiritually? Are there myths within Christianity, things that we need to unlearn, things that have been passed along that... I got a few for you right here. How about this one? How about if you follow, if, if you follow Christ, he will always make you happy. You'll always be happy. Follow me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. A verse that's nowhere in the Bible, but it's been quoted many times. Too. How about if God is on my side, my enemies can't hurt me. If God is on my side, my enemies can't hurt me. Go tell that to the martyrs. Because you know what? We are a church that loves the martyrs. Every martyr, God was on their side. And every one of them got killed. How about this one? That if I live a godly life, I should have no problems. Now, here's the thing with, with these myths. You would never say that. You would never say, if I live godly, I should have no problems. You would never say it. But the truth is, is that when we do live godly, and the problems do come, we're shocked. We're hurt. We're disappointed. We feel betrayed. So you would never say it. But my point is to say is, sometimes... There's deep-seated misconceptions or misunderstandings, or what I want to say is myths about how this Christianity thing works. And these myths cause problems. Well, today we're going to talk about a myth. Jesus was a myth buster. He busted a myth that existed in first century Israel. Jewish culture had a myth about the kingdom of God that Jesus comes straight today and flattens it right in front of them. Let's go back and do a little context. First century Jewish people lived in a constant tension between two different factors. On the one hand, they were the chosen people of God. They were God's holy people. God had chosen them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had worked in their life, freed them from slavery. They were the special people of God. But then on the other hand, they looked around and they were slaves. They were in captivity to the Romans. Their life was at an all-time low. Like if you look in the history of God's people, this was the lowest time that there ever was. Because not only they had no no power, they had no hope. They had no prophets. They had the, the, the religious system had gone corrupt. So they were, on the one hand, we're God's people and we're very proud and God is going, we're the special people of God. But on the other hand, life is horrible and life stinks and we're in captivity. Their hope was that one day the Messiah would come, and when the Messiah comes, he will free them from captivity. So they expected the Messiah to come like a superhero, strong man, military man, to come in and free them from the captivity and save them from the Romans and the people who were enslaving them. And they had a certain expression or a cultural symbol of this hope. And that was this, the cedars of Lebanon. You may have read this when you read the Psalms or in the Old Testament. The cedars of Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon. That God will make us like the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon was a cultural symbol for them about how the Messiah is going to come and give them victory and make them strong. Think of the cedars of Lebanon for them, the way we would say, like I tried to figure out what like, to liken this to us today. You know, like the, 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 the great redwoods. Okay, the redwood trees, like the redwood forest and the Gulf Stream waters, whatever that song is, okay, this land is made for you and me. Like these very strong trees, okay, like the mighty 
cedars of Lebanon. There were these tall trees that grew like two to 300 feet high and they had big, big, big branches and the, and the, the birds and the, all kinds of different animals would be inside them and nothing could knock them down. Their expression was that God would come, send the Messiah, and make their nation like the cedars of Lebanon. But you and I know that the Messiah didn't come to make them a military powerhouse. The Messiah did come and did save them and did free them from captivity to their enemies. But it wasn't the physical enemies. It was the spiritual enemies, sin and death and Satan. So for Jesus to make this to, to clarify this, he gave one of the shortest parables, only two verses, but it's a very powerful one, and it's one that you probably heard before. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." If you thought last week's parable of the prodigal son was a shocker to the people, here you got this people, like I said, struggling, captivity, slaves, but one day the Messiah would make us like the cedars of Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon, and then that'll be the kingdom. The kingdom of God will come like the cedars of Lebanon. And Jesus said, I got your kingdom for you. Kingdom of God is coming, but stop looking up at the cedars of Lebanon. Look down here at this tiny, microscopic little mustard seed, and that's where the kingdom of God is going to come. What can we learn about the kingdom of God from this mustard seed? Well, I want to say three things, three lessons I'll give them to you all up front, then we'll break them down. The kingdom of God, three things. One, start small. Two, grows gradual. Three, triumphs and transforms. Kingdom of God, repeat after me. Kingdom of God, start small. It grows gradual. Gradually. It triumphs and transforms. Let's take them one by one. First thing that we learn about the kingdom of God is that it starts small. The parable said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, yet somehow grows into this huge tree. Now, here's the thing that I discovered. I did a little bit of research online, and if you are any, a botany major or someone who studied agriculture, what you will discover is that a mustard seed is actually not the smallest of all the seeds. Anyone know what is the smallest of all the seeds? It's been discovered at least. An orchid, it has the smallest of all the seeds, and one little thing is like a million of them. So the mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds. And just to make you laugh, not really on our topic here, I found one website where one guy was writing to basically discredit Jesus and the entire Bible based on the fact that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds, that it's like number three. And it's saying that the Bible is not reliable. Like this, this, any, if you have, I've told you this before, you have an agenda to accomplish what you want to accomplish, you can find a way to prove it, okay? Any way that you want. So this guy made his whole case about how Christianity is a fraud because of the mustard seed situation right here. And I'm saying this, okay? Two things to this guy. Number one, Jesus is not speaking at an international botany convention, okay? where he is trying to give scientific facts about the smallest of all the seeds. He's speaking to a group of Middle Eastern farmers in the first century, and for all practical purposes, unless they invent air travel to the Far East, this is the smallest seed they will ever see in their life, okay? So again, it's not a scientific convention. But secondly, and more importantly, if you listen to what Jesus said, he didn't actually say it's the smallest of all the seeds. He said it's the what? The least of all the seeds. You may say that's nitpicking. 
Well, the point here is if you, again, understand first century culture, there was an expression that they used. And the expression was, as a mustard seed. But it didn't mean small, it meant insignificant. It meant something the least, it means like, it's exactly like we have an expression, like chopped liver. Oh, uh, you know, wh what is that? Like, what are you, what are you, what am I, chopped liver? Okay, it's not a, a literal chopped liver, okay? Because I, I personally, I'm a liver fan. Anyone here a fan of, uh, I love liver, okay? So for me personally, chopped liver, it's like, yeah, chopped liver, chopped liver. Like, I love chopped liver. But it's an expression. And the expression means that it's worthless. So it's the same thing here. A mustard seed may not be the, the smallest, okay, scientifically, but proverbially, proverbially small, proverbially insignificant. In other words, it's a symbol of nothing. And his point here is that's the kingdom of God. It's something that is, seems like nothing, but it actually grows into something big. And actually we can see that by the next verse, he gave another parable, which is on the heels of the mustard seed, which is actually very similar. He said this in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three meals of measure till it was all leaven. Same principle, leaven or yeast is something very small and you put in just, okay, a touch. I'm not a baker person right here, but I'll just say, you know, just one little half a cup or half a teaspoon or half a milligram or whatever it may be. And you just put in that one little pinch of whatever, but it makes a big impact. A little makes a big impact. That's what Jesus is trying to say right here. In other words, the lesson he's trying to tell them and tell us is that the kingdom of God, let me use another expression, the work of God in your life today, because kingdom of God is in our midst, the work of God in your life and in my life often begins very unimpressively. It's often not what we think. It's often in small, seemingly insignificant ways that you wouldn't even flinch at, which is the opposite of the way of the world. The world likes big. The world likes a lot of uh, headlines. The world likes attention grabbing, but not Jesus, not the kingdom of God. Think about it. When Jesus was born into this world, if you were God and you were planning the birth of your son into the world, the birth of your son into the world, we have kids that are not the sons of God, okay? Not the, not, not the, but we, the whole neighborhood knows, okay? The little balloon and the signs, you know what I mean? And the welcome, whatever it may be, and the paint the house and the paint or whatever it may be. How was Jesus born? How did God send his son into the world? He sent him into a little manger. A little manger where? In Bethlehem. Out, out in the middle of nowhere. At night when no one was around. Man, if it was me, first of all, I wouldn't have chosen Bethlehem. I'd have chosen Times Square. And I wouldn't have chosen the middle of the night. I'd have chosen New Year's Eve. That's what I would have done. No, Times Square, New Year's Eve, ball drops, cue the lights, baby Jesus comes right in. Like, boom. That's not God. That's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God isn't pomp and circumstance. That's the way we like it. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. God likes to plant small seeds, seemingly insignificant seeds, but those seeds make big impact. I'll give you another verse right here from Zechariah the prophet, chapter four, verse 10. He says, for who has despised the day of small things? That's the kingdom of God, the day of small things. Zechariah the prophet is saying, don't overlook the small things. Don't despise the small things. Pay attention to the small things because that's where the kingdom of God is. What means what? Don't despise the power and the impact of small little prayers said throughout your day. So often people come to me and say, there's this situation and, and I'm, I need someone to pray. I need someone to solve it. I don't know how to solve it. Don't despise the power of a small little prayer said every single day over the course of a month, two months, three months, a year, two years, three years. Don't despise the small things. Don't despise 
small little acts of love and kindness and humility and serving one another. Don't despise that because you think, what impact is that going to have on that relationship? Don't despise that because the kingdom of God comes in those small little acts of kindness and love. Don't despise getting up five minutes earlier. Don't overlook five minutes, just five minutes to stand up before God and pray. I'm rushed. I don't have time to spend time with God. Don't overlook that the kingdom of God may work in your life and setting the alarm just five minutes earlier so you can spend five minutes with God. Lots of other small things. Don't overlook that email or that text from that friend who came at that one point in time. Don't overlook that word that that priest said in confession. He just said that word in confession. Don't overlook that. That may be the kingdom of God coming to you. Don't overlook that feeling in your gut that something just isn't right with this decision. Don't overlook that because the kingdom of God starts small. The Jewish people were waiting for a big Messiah to come in a big way and to do big things. And the whole time, he was right under their nose, in their midst, within them. And he was working, but they couldn't see him because they were looking for someone big. They were looking for the cedars of Lebanon, not for the mustard seeds in the ground. So that's the first thing. The kingdom of God starts small. But just because it starts small doesn't end small. Because the second thing is it starts small, but it grows gradually. It grows gradually. Let me ask you a question. In this parable, Jesus said, kingdom of heaven is like a seed, a mustard seed, a man plants, and when it is grown, it's a big tree. When it is grown, that expression, when it is grown. Question for you. When does a seed become a tree? At what point? Like every tree that you see outside started as a seed. And at one point it was a seed. But now it's a tree. Like what's that point? Is it like when, you know, like a little thing starts to sprout? Or is it like a certain height? Like when does it happen? Like can you go to sleep as a seed and then you wake up the next morning and all of a sudden it's a tree? Let me ask you another question. Same question, but a different, different subject. Anyone here who's tall? Okay, you know people who are tall. You know, you see someone, you're like, you're tall. When did you become tall? Like, when did you become tall? Like, at one point you weren't tall. At one point you were a baby, and now you're tall. At what point was it? Like, when do you cross that threshold? And the answer is, I don't know. Like, it's not a point in time. What happens is you start as a little guy, and then you grow gradually, grow gradually, grow gradually, grow gradually. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you're tall. But was it yesterday? Was it Tuesday? Like, when was it? That's the way the kingdom of God is. That's the way the work of God in your life is. We look at it and we say, we don't like it that way. We want, again, big results. We want immediate results. We want, I got a problem. I pray, solution tomorrow morning. That's what we want. We want, I'm struggling in my marriage. I read this book. I attend, I watch this sermon and everything should be fine by the weekend because we got plans on the weekend. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The kingdom of God starts small, but it grows gradually, gradually, gradually. And who's the one who's going to be patient and stick with it to give the kingdom of God a chance to grow? First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I'll give you another analogy. Let's say you got a swimming pool, big swimming pool. Okay, you know, 400 gallons of water, whatever it may be. And then let's say that you got, actually, let's not make it a pool. Let's just make it a, a pool of water, but not the chlorine, because chlorine throws off my analogy. Okay. Just regular water. And then I got food dye. Food dye, D-Y-E, dye. 
red food coloring, okay? And I take in that pool of water and I just drop a drop in there. Will that make a difference in the pool? Will it make a difference in the pool? Scientists, will it make a difference in the pool? Of course. Just a little, but it'll make a difference. Because before the pool was, I'm making my stuff up right here, you know, 7,000 billion molecules of H2O, you know, font color clear, okay? But now I added a molecule of, you know, N2OCL, NACL, 2-0, whatever, niner, okay? And font color red. So it's not the same. It's not the same. Like, this is not subjective. Objectively speaking, you had this much water with this many molecules or whatever, and now it's changed. But you're like, yeah, but it's unnoticeable. It's imperceptible. But it's different. So what would happen if an hour later I did another drop? And then an hour later I did another drop. And then an hour later another drop. And an hour later another drop. Hour later another drop. Hour later another drop. And then let's say I did that for a day, two days, three days, a week, two weeks, a month. Now you come back a month later. Has the pool changed? Oh yeah. It's Kool-Aid now. But how did it change? At what point did it change? At what point did it go from just water to now all of a sudden Kool-Aid water? The answer is that's the that that there's no point. It grows gradually. That's how the kingdom of God works. We want lightning. We want my boss is giving me a hard time. I pray, zap the guy with the lightning. That's not how God works. We want God to fix relationships with boom. That's not how God works. I'm, let me say this better. Sometimes he does work that way. But that's, that's the exception. That's the outlier. How God works is little drops of dye. Little drops of dye. Little drops. That's the kingdom of God. <clears throat> that's why the virtue of perfection is often spoken about as patience. Because who's the one who's going to be patient and give God a chance to work? Who's the one who's going to fast and pray and read his Bible and go to church and do all the right things, the little things, and see no difference? That swimming pool looks no different. Looks exactly the same. And Father Anthony, I've been going to church for a long time right now. I've been going, I've been, I've been praying for, for two weeks now. I've been praying for two weeks and I don't see a difference. Pray another two weeks. Four weeks and no difference. Like for us, like give up. Who's the one who's going to be patient and say, I'm going to pray for four weeks. Then I'm going to pray for five weeks, and then a sixth week, and I'm going to keep on fasting. And why should I fast? God isn't doing anything. Just keep fasting. Why should I go to church? Nothing's happening. Keep going to church. Why should I serve? Why should I be kind? Why should I forgive? Why should I humble? Just keep doing it, man. Just keep doing it. One of my favorite verses, I didn't put it up on the screen, it comes from Galatians chapter 6. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's a good one. Let's say that. Repeat after me. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season... Again, for in due season. Leesburg, say it with me too. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In due season is the key. But too many of us, we pray, no lightning, we give up. That's not the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, it starts small. But it grows gradual. And so gradual, so gradual that oftentimes it's working inside you and inside your family and inside your problem. It is working, but you just can't see it. Like the swimming pool. You just can't see it, but you got to stick with it. 
Because even though it starts small and it grows gradual, ultimately, without a shadow of a doubt, the kingdom of God triumphs and transforms. The kingdom of God triumphs and transforms. Let's go back to the parable in verse 32. Jesus said that the, the seed goes in the ground, starts least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. Let's go back to our agriculture majors right here. Something that I honestly, when I heard this the first time, I didn't believe it. I had to look it up from multiple sources to prove that this is true. Is that, did you know that there actually is no such thing as a mustard tree? <laughs> Throw away the Bible again. Mustard seeds don't grow into trees. Mustard seeds grow into shrubs. Maybe if you are really generous with your definition of what a tree is, okay, like it's really like a tall plant. And actually it's often described as it grows like a weed. Mustard seeds don't become trees. They certainly do not become tall trees. They become shrubs. Six feet at best. That's why Jesus said it grows into a tree. Was he again making a mistake? Is this just an expression? No, this one's intentional. This one's intentional. He even makes it clear. He's saying it's greater than the herbs. The mustard, like the, all the other herbs, will be a shrub. But he's saying, no, 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 no. This one, I'm being intentional. Pay attention. It's not just going to become an herb. It's not just going to be a shrub. It's going to be a tree. Why? Because that's how the kingdom of God works. It transforms. The kingdom of God doesn't slightly adjust. The kingdom of God, God doesn't want to work in your life to make slight tweaks. God doesn't want to make slight improvements. What Jesus said is that when I'm coming, behold, all things new. All things have passed away. All things new. So you were a seed. At best, you could have been a shrub. With me, you'd be a tree. New creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. I want you to be born again. I don't want you to just to be slightly improved. Take your old life. Throw that away. Die with that. Born again. New life. Everything is new in Christ. <clears throat> the verse that captures what we are meant to be in Christ, this transformative power of the kingdom of God in your life and mine is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. St. Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, say this with me, are being what? Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What St. Paul is saying is once the Holy Spirit is inside there, the Holy Spirit is working to transform us into the same image. To transform us. <clears throat> and I got news for you. When the Holy Spirit's on the job, He gets the job done. When the Holy Spirit's working inside you, He gets the job done. But again, the way He works isn't always as we think. It's not the fire and the lightning. Oftentimes, it's in those small, slow, and gradual ways. I'll give you an example. What is stronger? A mountain? Think of a mountain. Mount Everest or Mount whatever it may be. Big, strong mountain. Versus a small little, not a river, like a uh, stream. A small little stream. Which is stronger? A big mountain or just a tiny little stream, little dribble of water? You'd be tempted to say the mountain. Like the mountain can just squash it. So if I put a little stream at the top of that mountain, nothing's going to happen to the mountain. But what if the stream continues? It continues over time. Is it going to make a change in the mountain? Absolutely. That little stream, which is just a little trickle, makes no difference. But you come back the next day, 
little bit of erosion. Next day, erosion. Next day, erosion, erosion, erosion. And if it keeps going, by the end, that thing's going to be a gushing river. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. Again, sometimes, yes, lightning. But how the Holy Spirit, once he's inside there, what he's doing is erosion, erosion, erosion. Your anger, your temper. God, remove my anger and temper. He doesn't remove it. What he does is a little bit of erosion, a little bit of erosion, a little bit of erosion. And if you stick with him, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. He transforms, but he doesn't transform us all at once, overnight. But we guarantee, guarantee that the Holy Spirit, if he's inside of us, he'll get the job done. I give you a quote from a church father named St. Cyril of Alexandria, which is a commentary on that verse. Look what he says about it. He says, St. Paul writes, as we behold the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces, that glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, transforms us all into his own likeness from one degree of glory to another. Does this not show that the Spirit changes those in whom he comes to dwell and alters the whole pattern of their lives? With the spirit within them, listen to this, it is quite natural for people who had been absorbed by the things of this world to become entirely otherworldly in outlook and for cowards to become great men, men of great courage. In other words, what St. Saint, what Saint Cyril is saying right here is that if you got God working inside you, God is going to win the battle. God is going to win when all is said and done. So there is no habit. There is no problem. There is nothing that God cannot overcome. Like you tell me, you tell me the marriage that is so broken that God can't fix it. You tell me the person that is so lost that God can't bring him back. You tell me the problem that is just so great that the spirit of God inside you is just like, I don't know what to do. It's too big. Like, I don't know. You win. That's how it works. When God is inside of us, the seed is in there and we water that seed and that seed, we give it time and we're patient. That seed will ultimately, it starts small, it grows gradually, but ultimately in the end, it triumphs. Nothing can defeat it. And it transforms us. And it turns cowards into people of courage. It turns greedy people into the most selfless people. It turns mean people into kind people. It turns timid people into bold people. And I'm not saying anything about me because I'm anything great, but I'm just saying honest right here. Like I look at myself here right, I am right now. If you were to go to the people who knew me when I was in high school or even better when I was in college, again, in the 1900s, I never got a chance to go to any reunions. I don't know why they didn't invite me. I probably I didn't give it to the Alumni Association or anything like that. But I would love to go back because those people, I guarantee you, they cannot picture who I was and who I am today. Because I'm looking back on I'm not the same person at all. And I'm not saying anything great about me. All I'm saying is, is that's what God does. Is that you look at someone and you're like, where'd that person come from? And the answer is, that's the Spirit of God. Because ultimately, the mustard seed that God wants to plant is more than just symbolic. It's more than just spiritual. The seed is actually not actually a seed. It's actually a person. Who is the seed through which the kingdom of God comes into our lives? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. says, now to Abraham and to his seed where the promise is made. He does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. When you see seed capitalized, you know that Christ himself is the seed. And that's why ultimately in the end, the kingdom of God wins. Like I got news for you. I read the last page of the story. The kingdom of God wins. No matter what situation you're in right now, 
if the kingdom of God is inside you, the kingdom of God wins. You may not know how you're going to get there, but I promise you, if he's inside, the kingdom of God will always win. So one time I remember it's an episode of The Simpsons. Any Simpsons fans here? Okay, Simpsons fans? Okay. I, the kids tell me about it in confession, so I had to check it out just for the kids. Okay. But there's this one episode. Okay, see how well you know. The one where uh, the, uh, the Major League Baseball players okay, were playing for... Anyway, so Mr. Burns, who is Homer's boss, okay, had a company softball team, and he got uh, Major League players, pro players, to play on his softball team. So all these uh, Major League Baseball player stars were around in, in the episode. And there's one particular scene where Bart and Ralph, okay, are two kids, and they're about to play, like, pick up baseball in the, in the lot, and they're picking teams. So Ralph, who's this funny kid, goes, uh, I'll take Ken Griffey Jr. And Bart's like, oh. So Bart's like, I'll take Millhouse. And then as, he, as soon as he said that, Wade Boggs walks by and he's like, Mr. Boggs, can you play with us? He's like, you got yourself a third baseman. So then he comes and then Bart is like, ah, I'll take Lewis. And then uh, the Ralph is like, Jose Canseco is up. So all of a sudden you had Ralph's team with all these professional players. Bart's team had no chance. I don't know why this is the analogy that came to my mind when I'm thinking about this, but I'm thinking in my mind that if we have Jesus inside of us, we're kind of like Ralph Wiggum. And Ralph Wiggum was the most pathetic guy in the, in, in, in the show. It's a cartoon, so I'm not criticizing a person, okay? It's, it's just a show. But he was sorry, and he was tired, and he was pathetic, and he was no good. But he had Griffey and Canseco and Boggs on his team, whereas the other guy had Lewis and Milhouse. Like, he had no shot. I'm saying that's us. I'm saying that's us. Is that the kingdom of God is in us. We got the seed. We got Christ inside of us. You're worried about a problem? You're worried about a habit, a sin? You're worried about something that you can't over... Like, you got, you got the all-star team. It's going to win in the end. But we just need to trust that and to be patient when we don't see answers and we don't see solutions. Trust. God is with us. Kingdom of God is inside of us. And if the kingdom of God is in us, kingdom starts small, kingdom grows gradually, but in the end, ultimately, the kingdom triumphs and transforms. I want to go back and read this parable again, but I want to read it from this time, Mark chapter 4. This parable was given by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's documented by all three. So we're going to read it again from Mark chapter 4, but this time when we read the word seed, I want you to think of Christ himself. He says, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? He's asking you. To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed. You know that mustard seed is Christ. Which when it is sown on the ground, the ground is who? The ground is me. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, make no mistake, when it is sown in that ground, it grows up and it becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. The people, the Jewish people, when they heard Christ, were looking for the kingdom of God and they kept looking up for cedars of Lebanon. Where's those cedars of Lebanon? Where's those cedars of Lebanon? And Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is right under your nose. It's been here this whole time. But instead of looking up for cedars, Look around for small, tiny seeds. And I believe that's the message that God wants to deliver to each and every single one of us who's listening to this. God is working in our lives. God is working in our marriages. God is working in our family. 
God is working in our spiritual. God is working, God is working, God is working. But stop looking for him in big things and start to look for him in those small things and trust that the kingdom of God starts small, grows gradually, but in the end it ultimately triumphs and transforms. Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us this beautiful picture of your kingdom and your work inside of us, Lord, which is this small mustard seed. Give us, Lord, to trust in you and to be patient and to believe even when our eyes don't see and our minds don't understand. We trust in you 100%, Lord, and we know that you are working and we know that you are here, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to not lose heart so that we can truly reap the reward that you want to give each and every single one of us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Here's Lord, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.